All right, good to see you tonight. Let's take your Bible, I almost said your hymnal, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 31. First Samuel chapter thirty one. <clears throat> this message is actually the result of the phone call I got last night concerning my brother's suicide. So anyway, uh it's a message about suicide and the causes. And the solutions. But anyway, Matthew, or 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1 says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and fell down slain in Mount Geboa. The Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. The battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul under his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through, and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword, and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword, and died with him. So tonight, the question of suicide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for... Your word, we thank you that we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well to take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place. We thank you that no scriptures is any private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And as we look into the word of God tonight and consider this difficult subject that leaves many questions for many people, I pray that we'd be able to help answer some of those questions. And might you be glorified, might we be helped, and may we be able, as a result, to help and encourage others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is that without question that suicide is a problem in our, in our world? Um, this is according to America Health Rankings, United Health Foundation, the public health impact of suicide was put out in 2021. Now, the year of these cases is 2019, and we do know that there has been an escalation of suicides as a result of the pandemic since 2019. But it says, this article says, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. It's the fourth leading cause of death for adolescents among ages 15 to 19. Fourth leading cause. 2019, there were an estimated 3.5 million people who planned a suicide, 1.4 million suicide attempts, and 47,511 deaths by suicide. Firearms involved in half-fall suicide. That's immaterial. What you use is immaterial. Of no consequence. But anyway, and there were more than twice as many deaths by suicide as by homicide. Twice as many. That was in 2019. 
Uh, when someone dies by suicide, as with any cause of death, the loss is felt by many people. The ripples of loss spread from close, close family and friends to community members, acquaintances, and even people the deceased did not know. All of those exposed to the loss may experience different levels of grief and trauma. Societal costs associated with suicide and suicide attempts are estimated at $93.5 billion. These costs include a lifetime medical fees and lost work costs. Mental health disorders and substance use disorders are the most significant risk factors for suicidal behaviors. In addition, environmental factors such as stressful life events, access to lethal means, um, drugs may increase the risk. Previous suicide attempts in a family history of suicide are also important risk factors. And of course, suicide is the intentional taking of one's life. But you think about it, it is self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. Self. And self is the problem. Now, many ask the question, can a Christian commit suicide? Well, let me ask you another question to answer your question. Don't you like it when people answer questions to answer your question? Can Christians sin? Suicide sin. It is displeasing to God. But so was Lot's sin. You know, if I was to judge Lot by the Old Testament record, I would have said he's lost man. What the Bible tells us in Peter, that that just man, that word just there means he was declared righteous. Not, not talking about he was just a man. No, it says he was a just man. Vexed his righteous, and again, that's the word to use, righteous soul from day to day. In other words, he was vexed, he was troubled with what he was living amongst and getting gain from. You know, he was guilt, constant guilt over this. But it says he was a righteous man. So... You know, I can't argue with God. I believe I'm going to see him in heaven when I get there. And I believe that suicide is like that. You know, I believe that Samson committed suicide. Of course, there were some stimulating circumstances that led to Samson's downfall, which were self-inflicted. Again, self-inflicted. But as we think about suicide and, and, and uh, uh, um, people committing suicide... You know, it does, you know, Pastor Webb said some years ago that it, it, it puts a person in trouble with God. And as we think about that statement, I want to give three basic things that I believe could lead or cause a person to commit suicide or are characteristics of a person who does. First of all, it demonstrates a lack of understanding of God's purpose for life. God's purpose for life. If you go to first. First Samuel, and we're going to be looking at the life of Saul, because Saul's a classic example. First Samuel 15, verses 1 through 11, says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. 
Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Talim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. Saul said unto the Canaanites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they come up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, hath not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. You know, God had set up Saul for God's purpose, not for Saul's purpose. You know, as a king, as a king who was to serve the Lord, Saul would serve the Lord as being a minister of God's judgment on those in rebellion against God and against his people. And here, it's Amalek. Now, it says in verse four, 3 that he was going to smite, verse 2 actually, that Amalek had laid wait for him in the way. That is, they laid wait for Israel. When Israel was coming up out of Egypt, before they got to the promised land, Amalek laid wait. In other words, they, 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 uh, uh, they um, what's the word I want? Ambush, thank you. Ambushed them in a, just an open, vicious, unprovoked attack. It wasn't that Israel was going to take their land. That wasn't part of the promised land. These were, these were kind of a nomadic people. They're actually descendants of Edom, of uh, Esau, and one of his many wives that he had. And, and Israel really wasn't, you know, the, the land they, they, they did, it was, it's between the southern part of Israel and Egypt there, and it wasn't really part of the land that they were to take possession of. But they're, so they're on their way to, from Egypt to, to the land of Canaan. And, and they laid wait for them and laid an ambush for them to try to destroy them. This is just a vicious, unprovoked attack. A bloodthirsty bunch of marauders, if you will. And God said, I will have judgment against Amalek forever. Because of this. And so he sends Saul to finish them off. But he does not. You see, he doesn't, he doesn't obey the purpose. He doesn't understand, or maybe I should say he just doesn't obey, the purpose for which God set him up. God told him to utterly destroy them. You know, and we have many people, I fear, that profess to be Christians who don't know where they came from. They're not certain about that. 
or why they're here or where they're going. And if we don't know where we came from, then to whom are we accountable? Whom are we accountable to? And if we don't know where we came from and know why we're here, there's no purpose for living. And if we don't know where we're going, there's no hope beyond this life. So if my life is hard, if it's difficult, it's without meaning, why live? Why live? Yeah, I never really thought about this before, but when I was in pastoring in Maine, I was out in visitation one day, and I rode, run into a, uh, I didn't run into him, I drove into their house, but you know, I run into a, a, a lady, I was talking to a lady and a few of her kids, and, and they professed to be Christians. They had moved up from down around Massachusetts, I think, somewhere, and he worked. He would fly down. I mean, you know, evidently he was making some, some big bucks. He bought quite a track of land, and, and so he would fly down, back down there for like a couple weeks at a time, and then he had, I forget how many weeks off. But anyway, in the course of the conversation, she said that she believed in, you know, that, that you know, some people believe in, in, in how would she say that? Some people... Well, it came out that she believed in theistic evolution. In other words, she believed that God used evolution to bring about creation. And so I went back to Genesis and began to refute this. And, and she says, well, you know, you can't believe everything the Bible says. But, you know, if you believe theistic evolution, you still really don't have anyone to be accountable to. Because God just started us out with a big bang. You know, a little chemical reaction or whatever that's supposed to be. You know, somewhere along the way, one of your grandmothers became an ape. And then somewhere along the way, they look like we do today. You know, that's so they say. Um, You know, so, so if you're not secure in these things, there's not really accountability. But where did life really begin? Where did it begin? You know, it's interesting that science is defined as the study of the structure and behavior of physical and natural world through observation and experiment. So who was it that observed this chemical reaction or this mutation of life from one species to another? Who observed that? I haven't met anyone yet that did. Although I did have a guy, you know, kind of argue with me here a few years ago over here, not too far from the seminary. We were at visitation one day, and he, he said, well, there are mutations. I said, yeah, there are mutations. And thankfully, I had just read something about just mutations, because I'm not a science expert by any means. But I had read something about these mutations just not too long before that. And I said, yeah, there are mutations, but what are they? He said, well, the fruit fly. I said, well, what's still, what is it now? Well, it's still a fly. You know, they talk about the mutations of the, the uh, finches in the, the Galapagos Islands. And, and you know, uh, Mr. Darwin himself had visited the Galapagos Islands, and he saw these variations among these finches, and he said they're evolving. And so, you know, these mutations, eventually these, these finches have become, kind of become something else. And there have been. There's, there are variations of these finches' beaks, depending on what part of the island they live on. They look sort of different, but they're still finches. They're still birds. 
You know, no one has ever yet tried to breed cats to create a dog, to bring about a dog. I mean, you can breed varieties of dogs, but you always end up with a dog. I mean, you can cross different kind of cats. You can cross a lion with a tiger and come up with a liger. But guess what? It's still a cat. And see, when you think about the definition of science, go to Romans chapter 1, and it gives us the definition of science. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And the world in which we live, you know, this is very important that you understand these things. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 20 says this, But that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Clearly seen. In other words, they're observed. They're observed. Being understood by the things that are made. So we can observe how we got here by what we see now in the world, what we observe. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So what we observe in the world is this, that life reproduces life. Humans reproduce humans. Cats reproduce cats. Dogs reproduce dogs. Now you can have varieties of dogs. You can have varieties of horses. You can have varieties of cats through breeding. You know, you can crossbreed cows and come up with a different variety of cows, but it's still a cow. Still a cow. See, what we see is life produces life, and this is what Genesis tells us what happened. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 Let's go back there. Genesis chapter 1. And this is what we see in the world. Genesis 1, 24 and 25. Says this. And God said, Let the the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts, and the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and every living thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And, and then in verse uh, 28 it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And, and God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be meat for you. Every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. So it was. And God saw everything that he made. Behold, it was very good. In the evening and the morning were the third day. And, and then in, uh, where is it here? I'm, I'm kind of... Um, Oh, go back to chapter 1 and verse 11. God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb eating seed, and fruit yielding eating fruit after its kind, whose seed, notice, is in itself. Upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after its kind, the tree yielding fruit, whose seed is in itself after its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
So, and he made great whales, verse 21. And every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly, after their kind, or after their species, every winged fowl after its kind, God saw that it was. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth, and evening and the morning were the second day, or the fifth day, and so on. So everything was to multiply after its kind. And that is what we still see observe in the world today. You know, people can believe evolution if they want to. But it's something that has to be believed by faith. It's a faith-based system with no evidence to back it up. Creation is faith-based. But science tells us there is evidence to what creation, the creation account tells us, is true. Because God created life. You know, one of the things that man can't do is create life. They tried. They're trying really hard. Because they want to discredit God in the worst kind of way. And they're trying very hard to create life, but they can't do it. The Bible says God breathed into man the breath of life. And man became a living soul. It's God that gives life. Only God can give life. We just reproduce life. And so, you know, we, under, we understand that the biblical record is in harmony with what we see, the evidence we see in the world. It's logical to believe that is true because the evidence we see, the, the, they are clearly seen. And so that brings us to the fact that God made all things for a purpose. Revelation 4.11 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Proverbs 16.4, The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. You know, in Romans 9, 17 says, The Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. You know, Pharaoh's resistance against God made it more evident, that have, gave more evidence to the power of God. And it was heard, God's power was heard about through all that region round about. Everybody heard about God's power and his destruction of Egypt, even though they resisted him. Psalm 76.10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. It was Pharaoh's wrath brought praise to God. It caused all those people in the land, it caused Rahab to say, We have heard what you, God did, and our hearts did melt. You know, when we know where we came from and why we're here, as we heard about this morning, we can know where we're going as well. We realize it's God who gives life and God who has the authority to end life. Romans 1, or Revelation 1, verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and was, 
which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And then in verse 18, he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. You see, we've been made by a creator with a purpose. And he's the one who gives life and has the right to take life. Secondly, suicide demonstrates a rejection of the lordship of Christ. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel 13 and verse 8, 1 Samuel 13 verse 8. So Saul has been anointed king. He's been told to prepare for battle and wait for Samuel to show up. And it says in verse 8, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and a peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. It came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, but the came us not within the days appointed. That's not really true. The day wasn't over yet. And that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Notice that he's blaming Samuel in the fact that he, you put me in an impossible situation where I had to do that which I knew wasn't right. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And then again in chapter 15, in verse 15, and Saul said, they had brought them from the Amalekites. So he's, he's tell, this is what the people did. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice on the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said, Say on. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord hath anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and I will destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. And wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Samuel said unto, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen and chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. Thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. 
And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom out of Israel from thee this day, given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Now, what we see here is the Lord has told Saul twice now that his kingdom or his family dynasty would not continue because of his rebellion against God. He opposes and he opposes God's choice of his replacement. He, is ne- he never accepted God's will in this matter. In fact, he violently opposed it, even to the point of trying to kill his most trusted servant, his ca- most, most valiant captain, his son-in-law, David. So he opposes it. You know, he's not accepting what the Lord has said concerning him. He is consumed with his honor before the people. If you notice in verses 27 through 30, it says, Samuel turned about to go away, and he laid hold upon his skirt of his mantle and rent it. You know, I believe that this was an act of threatening and intimidation to Samuel. Look, you're going to honor me before the people. Here's a very dangerous man. This is pride. So he wants honor for the people. You see, again, this is a rejection of the lordship of Christ, of the Lord. Now, we're not here to do what we want. We're here for the Lord's purpose. You know, there's a lot of verses I want to look at. You know, Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, them He also predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, when He says all things, He's talking about the good things and the bad things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All things. The things that hurt. You know, many people will say, why do bad things happen to me? If there's a God, why do bad things happen to me? If God loves me, why do bad things happen to me? Because He's trying to conform you to the image of His Son. And furthermore, sin didn't come in this world because of God. Sin came into this world because of man's choice. And sometimes hurt comes into our own lives because of our own choices. Sometimes it's just because we live in a sin-cursed earth. Sometimes it's not always the result of what we do, but just the result of the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. But it's not God's fault. You know, Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 1 through 12 I'm going to shorten this for sake of time, but let's start verse 5. Having predestinated us, in other words, that he's predetermined to bring this to pass unto the adoption of children. He predetermined to bring the adoption of children to pass, to make us legal, give us legal standing in the family of God 
as, as children of God. That's the idea of adoption. By Jesus Christ to himself, according to, notice, the good pleasure of his will. So it's done for the good pleasure of his will. This, these kind of phrases are used over and over again through verses 5 through verse 11. Notice, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom mentioned through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his according to, again, his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together one in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. See, God works everything for the counsel of his own will, for his own purpose. And what he's doing in your life is for his purpose. It's for his purpose. You know, so often we, we chafe against what God is allowing or doing in our life because we don't understand. But God didn't say, if you understand, it's okay. if you, if you, if you, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll make you understand everything as we go along. No, he said, he just commands us, we just need to obey him and trust him. And we may understand it by and by. By the way, the, the closer you walk with the Lord, the more of it you're going to understand. We know that, that, you know, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? That the trying of your faith may have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, not lacking any the qualities that God desires to bring out, the fruits of the Spirit in your life. So God works all things. And then in verse, verse 12 he says, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? No, then you ought to, you are, um, what? No, you not, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify your God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, if it belongs to God, cannot he do with that it what he pleases? I mean, my car belongs to me. So I can do with it whatever I please. It's mine. I mean, if I want to put, you know, hot mufflers on it, I can put hot mufflers on it. You know, make it a room room, you know, and then Colin will like my car as a room room, you know. You see, Saul rejected the lordship of Christ and he, rege- he opposed the Lord's will in his life. Now we have another man who is in a similar situation, but he was a meek man. This means he was not self-willed, and that's Moses. He was told his leadership over Israel would not continue. Think about it. The thing that Moses wanted more than anything else in this world was to go in to the promised land. 
And God said, you will not go in because you disobeyed my voice. But he said, I will send Joshua in. Do you know what Moses did? He continued to lead the children of Israel and prepared Joshua to take over his place until the Lord took him out. What did he do? He submitted to the lordship of his Lord. Even though it was not what he wanted. You know, think how different Saul's life could have ended if he just said, you know, Lord, Samuel, you're right. I haven't obeyed the Lord. And I realize God has rejected me, my family, and my own son. His own son accepted that. His own son promoted that. Yet he refused. But think how different maybe his life could have ended if he didn't accept it and said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do to make David a great king. See, Moses looked at his, his position of leadership differently than Saul. See, to Moses, it was God's position. Therefore, it was of the Lord who should fill that position. Saul saw it as his kingdom and his position and his responsibility to see to it who would fill that role. You know, when Job was tried... And we know Job was a righteous man because God, God said so. It's a good example of why the righteous suffer. Job said in one, Job one twenty one, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 9, his wife said unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and kill yourself. Job says to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. In other words, you're talking like a wicked woman. That's what he said. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So you might say, again, you might ask that question, Why Job suffer? Do you know what Job's suffering proved? It proved that man would serve God even if he wasn't favored and shielded and protected and pampered by God. It put the old enemy, the devil, to silence. And it testified to the world around Job that there is a God that I will die for. That's worth living for. That I will be willing to suffer for. And not take my life into my own hands. And then third thing. Suicide demonstrates a deception. A deception of the devil or being deceived by the devil. Again in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 9. 
1 Samuel 15 and verse 9. It says, But Saul and those people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile refused that they destroyed utterly. And then, of course, verses 13 through 15 talk about basically the same thing. Uh, and then in verse 20, here's, here's the thing. Verse 20, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalekite, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Now, wait a minute. I thought God said to destroy man, woman, infant, suck. Would that include the king? By the way, do you know what the fruits of keeping Agag alive are or were? Do you remember a guy by the name of Haman? Haman was an Agagite. You see, keeping Agag alive wasn't just King Agag. It was some of his family. And that family, some of them escaped somewhere along the way and continued to live and still had vengeance against God's people. And Haman was going to carry it out. Now that was some hundreds of years later. You see... And, of course, he kept the best of the sheep, the oxen. He was going to sacrifice to the Lord. Isn't that a great thing? That's like saying, you know, surely God will be pleased if we keep these animals of the wicked of whom we did nothing to get. We haven't paid for. Cost us nothing. You know, David said, I want to offer the Lord that of which cost me nothing. But here's Saul. But in his good intentions, he is opposing the very word of God that's been given to him. He's opposing it. You know, he'd been given a clear command of God, but when he looked at the circumstances of what could be gained from this, he thought God would be pleased with him changing the order that was given him. But Samuel reminds him, the Lord doesn't have as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice. So he is opposing the word of the Lord while trying to worship the Lord after his own design. Basically, that's what Jeroboam did. He tried to worship the Lord, the God of Israel, by building... Calves, idols, so they wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem. They'd just go to Bethel and go to Dan. It'd be close by, you know, and, and you can worship the Lord God of Israel there, you know, and, and say, this is the gods that brought thee out of Egypt. After his own design. And here's the thing. It seemed to work for a while. You know, he rejected the idea of of uh, David becoming king. He would not accept it. He opposed it. And he seemed to work for a while. He even had people help him in his opposition to the Lord. 
you know, the world and what we're discussing here tonight is like Job's three friends. You know what Job told them? You're physicians of no value. You know, again, this can happen to God's people. You know, Peter was deceived. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins to tell his disciples how he's going to die. And Peter says, not so, Lord. And he began to rebuke the Lord. And the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things that be of God. You see, we can easily be deceived. And people that commit suicide are deceived into thinking that it's a better way out. Many times they think, well, you know, I'm just a bother. Nobody loves me. Or like Elijah said, you know, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else like me. You see, these thoughts aren't just of people that are out there on the fringes of Christianity. You know, some of God's greatest servants had thoughts of these kinds. We're all capable of them. We're all capable of them. But we have to remind ourselves that God has given us a purpose. God has a purpose for my life until he takes And we're to follow our Lord, even though we may not understand. We may understand by and by. We're to follow Him and obey His orders. And not allow ourselves to be deceived by the wicked one. Suicide is a deception. It's a deception. Many people look at it as an escape, a way out. But it's a selfish choice. It usually leaves great heartache, damage to those that are left behind. Even as Saul, Saul left much carnage as a result of his rebellion in Israel. You know, it could have been a peaceful transition. Thousands and thousands of Israelites died as a result of the conflict that he caused. Might the Lord help us to rest in his promises, to keep his commandments, and to realize that our life is in the hand of God, and we need to follow him wherever it leads us.